Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, so happy you could join me. Glad you're with me as we continue to talk through all those things, environmental health and safety, and how they create leadership opportunities, how they create learning opportunities. Safety is all about people and uh, how we engage our people in an organization. That's something we're always looking for. And I think safety is that great starting point for any good people conversation because it makes a huge difference. Everyone wants to go home safe, hopefully, and I think that's a great thing. Anyway, let's get started, starting off with COVID. So last week, the announcement was made, the executive order was created for any government contracts, or if you do business with the government, or healthcare, mandatory vaccinations, uh, no options available for testing. You would have to be vaccinated. As far as what it looks like for doing business with the government, as far as having a government contract, that seems to be holding water so far and should because it's very voluntary aspect of it from the standpoint of the idea that if you don't want government money and you don't want to be part of that contract, then okay, you have your options. If you want to do business with the government, you will have to show vaccination records. Now, the key is, what does that look like? Is there going to be a digital national registry? There's talks of that. Uh, Do you have to have your card with you all the time, a copy of the card, file it once? More guidance to come. We're still about a week away or so before we're going to see guidance on what does that mean. The more controversial item that was brought up, though, is the idea of OSHA having to enforce a other uh, soft mandate is what they called it, that any employer over 100 people would have to be mandatory vaccination for all their people or face weekly uh, vac- or weekly testing for COVID. So that was more controversial for sure. One, it was a soft mandate. There's nothing right now that OSHA has in place to be able to enforce it. And there's a number of concerns out there about how this can happen. One, we don't know much about how to do it. We talked about this last week. We chatted through some options of where there's too much uncertainty and too much speculation of what is going to happen. And furthermore, now, as a week has passed, a lot of the news has moved to how difficult that is going to be for OSHA. One, because they have continually been dwindled down over the years. Uh, Their budget has increased this year. 
some, but can they hire people quick enough to get where they need to be and prepare everything they're supposed to prepare? Going to be tough. And just the idea of how do they push this emergency standard, because what they're claiming is that they have the ability to move this emergency standard because of the crisis of COVID that is in the nation. Now, when we think about OSHA, OSHA is supposed to protect from occupational hazards and predominantly occupational hazards. And COVID is occupational. Yes, you can potentially contract it from where you work and how you work. But there's been arguments that you can also contract it in a whole bunch of other ways. And in some cases, more likely to catch it outside of work than inside, uh, depending on the work, depending on what you do for a living, depending on how your organization is set up and how you work and how you congregate, that there's significant risk outside of work. Uh, unlike some other like bloodborne standards where when it comes to healthcare workers and such like needle sticks and hepatitis vaccinations, for those people, the likelihood of contracting it is primarily through work, where there isn't a lot of outside opportunity to catch that and to be contracted. So there's some argument going on of how is this really going to work? Uh, how do you track the mandatory testing? And again, for those who are vaccinated, where do we log that? How do we log that? Where do we put it? What kind of format does it need to be in? And in an electronic national registry, like a, like I have personally, I have the clear app anyway for when I fly, and I noticed it had an ability to create that digital passport, what they call the digital vaccine passport. I tried it out. Um, don't know where that's going to get me or <laughs> what that's going to allow me to do, but I've done it. Because uh, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to be able to present that um, if I need to. I carry, right now, I think I have like four copies of my card that I'm packing around. I have my original. I have copies. I have photographs. I have it in my uh, different notebook accounts. Uh, just where I can hopefully find it if I need it as fast as I can. Um, so it's interesting to think about where are we going to display it? And then the weekly tests, okay, you have a database. Yes. No. Do you have the vaccination? Do you have your card filed with whatever we need to file it with? Where do you track all these testing requirements, false positives, uh, all of that idea of the, the process behind it. And so there is quite the debate of what this is going to look like. And we still don't really know. There's been some speculation from some former directors uh, of OSHA saying it's probably going to look something along the lines of trying to create like paperwork. It's going to be a massive undertaking of HR and safety paperwork to get this where it needs to be. Some have said it's not strict enough that a hundred people or more is too many. It should be everybody. If you have a business that's under OSHA's jurisdiction, that you should be mandatory vaccination, no questions asked. So there's some pushback already on on both sides of those that are saying it wasn't tough enough and those who were saying that this is not something OSHA should be enforcing in all industries, only those of high risk. And then, of course, how do they enforce it? How are we able to even see this? And there is a lot of wait-and-see mentality in the business world. So... And I'll be honest, I'm probably one of those that I'm probably not going to be in the top 5% that go after it. I'm going to be early, I'm sure, because I don't like to be negligent by no means. And I'm not advocating any negligence. And there's some organizations that have already said 
mandatory vaccinations, some very large companies. And they're jumping through those hurdles now, and we can learn a lot. And that's where I've been putting a lot of my focus is what are they learning? Some of those learnings are not apparently clear yet um, because there's not a lot of information of how they've been successful or if they've been successful or what hurdles they're jumping over. I think there's going to have to be more sharing. We're going to have to really get together and share this information. Here's my little plug. Um, if you're part of a safety organization or an HR organization or a business organization, be listening. Start having conversations with anyone you're part of because uh, we're only going to be stronger together through this because there's so much lack of understanding so far. And again, we're supposed to be about a week out from some additional guidance. OSHA's not sure exactly of when their guidance will be out. So we're waiting anxiously to understand. And I think that's the toughest thing for we as any leader in a business is we don't like uncertainty. That's one thing I was taught early on. We don't like uncertainty, good, bad, indifferent. We'd rather know so we can plan for it and go forward. Ah, So here's something we're just waiting for. We'll see some more podcasts and we're going to change topics, move on right after You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, the safety dude. So who is the safety dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety. www.tsdamalgamated.com. And welcome back to our second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, thanks for hanging in there. I appreciate you being part of uh, this discussion, part of the chat. Thanks. I really do uh, enjoy having you. So last week, I talked a little bit about uh, some workers' compensation fraud that I came across in the news. It always is amazing to me that once one piece of news happens, that suddenly for no reason at all, like I haven't seen much on workers' compensation fraud prosecution in a long time, when I flip through the news, when I'm reading all of the things I try to keep up with, that's not something I see very often. So saw something last week, we talked about it. And this week, two more cases pop up. And I don't know if it's something like when it happens that suddenly there is a artificial intelligence that says, okay, this was newsworthy once, we're going to now pull it and do it again or write a story about it, or try to find instances of it that we need to write a story about it. It's kind of like that domino effect. You have one, then suddenly you have more. And I know it's more complex than this was just pure chance. I have a feeling that it actually created that uh, opportunity for news sources to go and try to look for more. Anyway, that was a tangent altogether, but it fascinates me how our news gets reported and sometimes how it will, will snowball in that format. But very interesting ideas here. The first one was an individual, and this was out of uh, out of a school board. That there was a member that was traveling on a school bus with a group of kids. Uh, claims that 
as they stepped off the school bus that they hurt their ankle, leg, and knee and collected a significant amount of benefits uh, financially from it. And they used uh, the insurance company or the board one, whoever was funding it, hired a private investigator to follow the person around and found that they were doing a lot of things that they said they couldn't do. Considering they were what I understand is unable to do an office job uh, or with minor walking and such. And they found them doing things that were significantly outside. They didn't say what it was. I wish they went into detail like, Hey, they were out there running a marathon and then played four rounds of softball on a weekend or something. Uh, and then did gymnastics or whatever. It'd be interesting to hear that. Um, but it was something big. And so prosecuted for that out of Connecticut and very, so we're seeing that there are certain states that are handling this very strongly. And that's, again, part of what we do as a safety is we start to get that intuition of when things don't feel right. And we, we call it out and we hope that sometimes we find what we need. I know in some states in particular, like there's laws on the books where there is, it's against the law to commit workers' compensation fraud, but really the best you can get as an employer is the claim denied. And there's, because maybe they, one instance I know of out of one state in particular, uh, was that they had an office of workers' compensation fraud to be investigated, and the person retired out of the role, and they took the funding away, and just never filled the position. So yeah, it's on the laws that they can prosecute or do whatever, but there's no office of it anymore because it wasn't funded. <laughs> so the best you could hope for is just, hey, denial. So interesting, because I know when there'd be other people traveling from other states, we let's prosecute. I can't do that here. Uh, the other one was actually an organization. This was a company out of California that had fraudulently reported their payroll to their insurance provider. Lots of it, like to the tune of like two and a half million dollars off of payroll to reduce their workers' compensation insurance. Wow. You know what would be a lot easier? Create a safety program. Quit hurting your people. Don't lie about your income or how much you're paying your people to avoid having to pay increased premiums. They're human beings. Quit hurting them, for goodness sakes. That one astounded me, and it's, I've read this, I've thought about it up to this point of recording this podcast. I'm still upset over it because this is ludicrous. For the, for This person's going to go potentially to jail. There are people, they're going to, the owner of this company who was making these fraudulent claims has significant issue now on their hands. Imagine if they just hired a safety person, even a safety consultant, number of safety consultants. It's got to be better than jail. And it's got to be better than hurting your people. This is, this is where, as a safety professional, I know you probably in the same, as a leader of safety and a leader of your people, that you care about your people, it's companies like that that make me so frustrated that we're out here working as hard as we can to do good things for our team and we'll get a bad name because of something like this that happens. Or there'll be new regulations or tougher inspections that they're going to dig around and maybe find something very, very minor that's unrelated. But it's frustrating that there's those of us working hard that can still be penalized and punished and we, we take every injury right to our heart because we know it's a human being and we hate it from happening. And then this happens. 
and it's pure apathy to the nth degree of what they're doing. And that is the hardest battle to find as a safety professional is that we're inside a building that cares because they've hired us, hopefully. Hopefully we're not just a figurehead to take a fall later. Oh, I hope you're not that person. Um, And we're there because they want us there to help them, to create that tension toward creating a better environment. And then this happens, and that really undermines everything we try to do. And luckily it was caught because there's payroll audits that ever so many years you have to submit to anyway from an external person. In a lot of cases, it's annual. Uh, I don't know if this was caught on an annual inspection or if it was caught elsewhere through a different one, but it was caught and it was blatant. It was not something that was read. It wasn't hard to find. It, It was pretty simple to find. I want to finish up with one last thing. And this goes back to kind of that caring about your team as I was reading about uh, a fatality where someone had been trapped in a machine for over 10 minutes before they were found. And it wasn't that they were mangled in the machine. The machine simply kind of crushed them in a little bit. And ultimately they just couldn't keep breathing or keep getting enough breathing and passed away because of that. And so the mother uh, of the worker, because he was pretty young, unfortunately in a manufacturing environment that she was saying, why were they monitoring? Why didn't they know something was wrong with that equipment? Why wasn't somebody checking? And it's hard. I mean, we some businesses are very remote. There's a lot of getting around to see things. And I think it's all about doing our due diligence, making sure we are following up. Where would we have a circumstance where something could happen that someone might not be seen or known that something was wrong for tens of minutes. And how would we counteract that? How would we prevent it? How would we work on it? And just think about it. Not that we can prevent it all. That's certainly something we have to overcome, but we have to create a continual cycle of caring. And that's what we try to do. So anyway, appreciate you joining me for this episode. And again, it seems like really the focus was, do we care? (laughs) Battling the apathy that can come with safety sometimes. creating an organization that cares about people and we can do that hopefully something will try so until next time that we chat stay safe listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.